Hey, welcome to The Screenwriting Life. I'm Meg LaFove. And I'm Lorianne McKenna. We are professional screenwriters. We've worked together as a team and separately. We've worked on studio and indie films, live action and animation, from my work on Inside Out and Captain Marvel. To my work in Pixar's story department on Up, Brave, and Inside Out. We are here to share our insights on the craft of screenwriting and also the life. How to not only survive the ups and downs, but thrive. We want to help you become the best screenwriter you can be and to reassure you that you are not alone on this journey. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Today, we are chatting with screenwriter Sam Bain, who is one of the industry's foremost comedy writers, having co-created four separate British sitcoms for the BBC and Channel 4. Sam's also written shorts and features, and we are very excited to have him on the show today. And spoiler alert, Sam is also a fan of our show. So we may be diving into some lava today, though he has already told us he's not crying. (laughs) (laughs) But first, let's get into talking about our week or what we like to call adventures in screenwriting. And thank you, Sam, for being here and um, doing your week with us and, and letting us pick your brain. I'm excited. I'm really, really thrilled to be here. I'm a big fan, as you know. Great. Thank you. Well, as usual, I'll get started with my week first. Um, So today I worked on, um, today, sorry, what day is it? Um, This week I worked on a lot of pitches for TV shows. So I finished one and I'm waiting for the meeting to get set. So I'm sure as soon as the meeting is set, I'll go back to the document and rewrite it all to prepare for (laughs) before the meeting. Um, And then I've been just, playing and noodling around with a lot of ideas. I came up with one this morning that I'm really excited about and actually has an engine. Woo-hoo. So I feel really good about sending that to my manager because every time I send him anything, he says, well, what's the engine? So are you going to write when you send it to your manager, you're just going to write engine colon and yes. write it out. I'm going to be like, here's the main character and here's the engine. And this is where it takes place. And it's a genius comedy. Um, so I'm really excited about that. Yesterday, I got about a foot cut off my hair, which felt amazing. It was time and it just felt uh, like, I mean, this is the second time in COVID I've gotten a pretty significant haircut, but it really did feel like, I mean, the cliche is that women who have breakups will go do something drastic to their hair and I'm wrapping a show. So I'm not breaking up with it, but I am wrapping a show and I feel like, you know what, let's just cut off all my hair. So I feel good about that. New <laughs> so, you. So new me. So my week was just a lot of um, noodling with ideas, which is really fun. And I have about 15,000 documents open on my computer. Uh, so I feel really organized. Um, yeah. So great. Um, Sam. Sam. Yeah. Sam, how was your week? Uh, It was different. I started a new writer's room for a new show yesterday. So there's a lot to kind of process in the old brain, meeting all these people, five different time zones. But exciting, you know, just just uh, last week was crazy because I got two job offers in the space of three days. And I was like, please. But then about five seconds later, I was like, okay, now I've got to do these jobs. <laughs> so the excitement, you know, it's not that I'm not excited. It's just like the reality of actually engaging with these people, this material, how long it's going to take. It's just, that's that's what I'm figuring out this week. You got to enjoy that window, right? From like yes. being offered the job to get the job, which can be a long window even in itself. 
and the, but just like before the reality of the job. <laughs> it's, you know, yeah. 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 There's always a bit of reality with those jobs. Well, congratulations. Nice. Yes. Congratulations. That's exciting. Thank you. Yeah. I've been, I've been doing a lot of passion projects for the, during the last 18 months. Turns out you can't pay your mortgage on passion. <laughs> so I'm excited to be employed again. Awesome. All right, I think that's that might be a new t-shirt. <laughs> Turns out <laughs> you can't pay your mortgage with passion. Oh. oh. Well, my week uh was a lot of notes. So I've actually lost track of time. I don't know. Sometimes when I get notes, I lose complete track of time because my brain is turning over things and I'm stuck in the fuck you, fuck me stages of it. And I kind of lose track of time. But what I realized is my anxiety is actually not the notes as much as not knowing the answer, if mm. that makes sense. Because yeah. as soon as I have any kind of take for the next version, and there could be 20 of them eventually, but as soon as I have any kind of take to answer some of these notes, my whole body goes, okay, I'm all right. I'm okay. It's the not knowing and the, 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 just the sheer volume of questions. And, you know, I don't like this. I don't get this, you know, uh, you know, my joke, I don't get it. I don't get it. You're like, ah, that, because the truth is I don't either. Now that I've just been inundated with all of this stuff. So for me, and it's funny because when I was thinking about doing the podcast today, I didn't have an answer. And I was like, how am I going to do this podcast? I am so full of anxiety over these notes. But in the span, but this morning, I came up you know, with a version with the director. So now I'm like, oh yeah, no. Okay, we're good. I can do the show. Because I'm totally, I feel like Jekyll and Hyde. I'm totally fine. When we, Meg, when we were working on Inside Out and after, and you used to say you were waiting for the click, right? I yeah. always found that really interesting. And what does that feel like for you? Is it literally like a sound or is it like all the tumblers falling into place? Like, what does it feel physically? Like if your body goes, so well, it's funny because even when you're, when you get the click, even in a room with people, and I don't know, Sam, if this has ever happened to you when you're on a show, but when something gets on the table and, you know, it could not be from one person. It could be, I've taken this piece that you said, and this piece, this note. So what if we did this? Is that a crazy idea? I literally said today, this might be insane. Okay, I don't even know. Like what, what if this was how it worked? Wouldn't that answer all these notes? And it is kind of true thematically and emotionally, and it kind of fits into all of that. And is this insane? And then you can feel the other people, even by through Zoom. So it's not feeling, it's intuiting by their body language. There's kind of a leaning forward. There's kind of a relaxing. There's kind of a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I know that by this afternoon, <laughs> all the questions about this new take will show up and we'll be like, shit. Like it doesn't, it, that falls down and then we can't do that. But then that becomes more, I, I knew it might be a good idea or might work because I was excited to go figure that out if that felt down versus, oh no, fuck, then all the anxiety starting to rise up. So somehow to me, if I'm getting into a place, the idea clicks because any new problem to me suddenly is interesting to figure out and like, oh, how could we do that? And let's get in there and figure it out versus this feeling of I'm going to die and I am going off a cliff and then all the anxiety rising into your head and you're like a terrible writer, and blah, 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 right? Um, so for me, that click is the story. It's an idea that works for the story in many different aspects of it, thematically, 
um, plot wise, you know, it's simple, it's not too complex, blah, blah, blah. it doesn't work for other things, but those things I feel kind of interested to go figure out. So that, but I mean, Sam, has that ever happened to you in the room where you can feel the room start to gravitate towards something or like, what is, what's that click for you? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, collaboration is its own whole world, right? Which is a thing which obviously rooms are set up for and you can feel that excitement. I don't really know how you do any writing without some excitement. Like, mm -hmm. like if I'm not feeling enthusiastic, I can't generate anything. So even if it's not going to be the solution, I think it's really important to follow follow the excitement, you know, on every level, whether it's outline or script. You know, I wrote uh, a scriptment once, which is a word I like to say. But the reason why I wrote that that way is because I, I had a lot of um, anxiety about the project, but I thought I'm just going to write my favorite bits. Mm, I'm going to oh, jump good. around and then I'll just generate, you know, 1% more excitement every day. And then I'll get to the bits that I don't want to write. And it actually really did work that. So I've always remembered that. That's really good. And I think yeah. in a way, in a way, like my brain is trying to story engineer it with all of these notes up on a wall right it's like ah and then i think it's so it's so wise to say go towards any little bit that feels fun and exciting and we have spent days doing that honestly which is why i think we can get to a possible click because we spent days going well what about this and how about this well what if we did this or what if this character became that and people were just tossing in and you've got to get this momentum going i will be honest then we had a meeting that the whole thing went crashed again <laughs> um but that's where you're like oh my god i i literally you know that song spin me right round round baby right round you know that like a record player that's how i feel like i'm just spinning and spins but we might cut that later oh, I, I'm I'm enjoying the 80s reference I feel it I bet like maybe a little bit of our audience will get that like a little bit everyone else will be like what is she talking about well go listen to it because it's how it feels to be a writer and get notes you're just like spawn on a teacup and you're like oh my god but so I think I think that going towards even write anything that is exciting to you and sometimes and I don't know if you've had this in room Sam you just have to freaking plow through what doesn't, what isn't exciting doesn't work by just like, well, what about this? And what about that? I'm not very excited about it. And this is kind of stupid, but what about that? Just to get to something exciting. Like, what do you do when you can't get to something exciting? You just keep walking, right? Walking through the mud until hopefully the mud, you know, dries or whatever. I just feel like anything to keep that forward motion going, right? Whether it's you're alone or, collaborating the only way you're not going to solve problems is by not writing or not talking mm. that's guaranteed not to work but everything else is going to give you some more information and the fact it doesn't work might be the absolutely amazing information that's so good i hope ever, all of our listeners really heard that because i think so many emerging writers quit because they are stuck in that mud and they and it feels scary to walk through it and so you just get frozen, right? And it's like everybody, every writer, Sam, this incredible writer who has so much experience is saying that he too just has to force himself to walk through the mud. So it's not like you're a bad writer while you're stuck in the mud. It's not like you're not valuable. This isn't for you. This isn't what you're supposed to do. That's just the job. <laughs> like this is what you do. So I, this, I think that's so amazing. Um, so Sam, this, how did yeah. you figure that out? Like when you first got started, like, can you talk to us a little bit about 
when you started writing and what was that like and how you got up every day to write and do the job? I started writing in college. I did a creative writing course like 30 years ago. And when that round, round record song was yeah. playing? Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, it was a few years <laughs> after that. Maybe. Um, um, I'd say three years. But um, yeah, and, uh, you know, that was, for me, the formative experience. And, you know, we shared our short stories and our poems. I think I might have written some poems. And we got immediate feedback. So for me, I always thought of writing as collaborative, even if it's just getting notes. That was how I was, like, born. And I've never written anything without someone who's going to read it anything ever in 30 years. And I think it's really important that emerging writers know that there isn't some, for me, there isn't some, you know, grand tower you live in on your own where you're supposed to figure it all out. Like, I can't do that. I've never done that. And I don't see why I should have to, because I can usually find someone, whether it's a friend, producer, director, to at least read it or at least have someone because it's all about communication, right? Writing is all about trying to tell a story. And so that was how I was brought up as a writer. And it really served me really well, I think, in television, particularly. And so do you have, um, you've worked alone, but you've also worked with a partner. So what happens when you're actually writing together and you have maybe different ideas of how to get through the mud? Or have you found it always as good just to have that other partner there like what what's your view on partnership and co-writing well I I wrote for 20 years with Jesse Armstrong and so that I have a lot of experience of how well that can work I think for us you know the most important way to think about any project is what's best for the project I think if you start to get into this is my idea this is your idea you're screwed I mean it is a kind of spiritual um spiritual idea in a way of dropping your ego but I think that is fundamental to any collaboration if you start to feel that ego tighten up and want your idea to be the best you're finished everything has to be what's best for the show end of what about when you guys have different process to get to the idea like I worked with a partner once or I'm currently that um he really needs to get the beginning humming those first few scenes so that he can now write the rest, which I respect. And yet my brain is like, we just have to puke this out. We just got to get to the end because we don't know the beginning till the, we don't know until the end. And, and so I get kind of anxious of like, what are we doing? But I just have to let him do it. Like, what's your, have you ever had different processes when you're working with somebody? Well, Jesse and I worked together for so long because it felt like we had the same process and we were very much your side of the street in that debate like we always wanted to get to the end and and figure it out uh, I've just started a brand new writing a partnership last week and and it's like a marriage right you're trying to figure out how is this person function and it's a dance and it's a whole other skill set which is not strictly related to coming up with ideas it's about understanding and patience and when to speak and when to shut up um people you know they're annoying and unpredictable and wonderful so you have to figure all that out as well right how does it change when you get into a room with multiple people all going together yeah I mean I think that you, it needs to be 
that's a complex beast, right? The writing room. And I think it really helps if the dynamics are clear, like who's in charge or what people are expected to, to do. And it's almost like an army or something. You need to know where you, where you stand, what your purpose is. It takes a lot of wrangling, but if it's set up with clear boundaries and obviously a kind of open safe space for bad ideas, that's crucial. No one wants to feel like they can't have a bad idea because we all have bad ideas and, you know, be able to speak freely and be open. It can be pretty magical, but it does take a bit of structural organization and that stuff. Right. So you don't get kind of bogged down in the politics of it. Yeah. Right? The social politics of it. Yeah. yeah. I have to ask though, Sam, like, I feel like, especially with comedy rooms and comedy writing, there's something that feels especially personal if a joke that you pitch doesn't make it. I, I don't know if you agree, but talking about removing egos and serving the story, it's one thing to have an idea or a potential solution. You know, maybe that's not the best for the story, but when you pitch a joke, you feel like you're really putting yourself out there. So if it doesn't go, um, I don't know. If I've, I've experienced personal, like in my own collaborative experience, that can feel especially personal. It's all personal, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, every joke is a risk. Every single time you make a joke, you're risking people going, what? And not laughing. You know, I think that as a comedy writer, you have to maybe generate the polite laugh occasionally or the kind of that's funny when it isn't. I mean, you know, you just have to be encouraging, right? Because maybe you have to go through the three bad jokes to get to the fourth amazing joke. And I think that that's probably the most critical thing, which I know you guys talk about a lot. Um you know, when we were writing Peep Show, for example, we did a lot of um, punching up in the edit because we can, because it's voiceover. We would often write 10 lines for each line and just like give yourself permission to fail nine times. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's so great. That's so yeah. great. Do you think that improv helps? Did you do any improv comedy? No, no, no. I'm not an actor and I have no desire to be, but um <laughs> But, you know, I, I guess the fun for me of comedy writing is you get to improv every single character on the page, right? You get right. to act all those parts. Right. We, we get, in terms of comedy, in terms of your writing, it's so character-driven. Um, a lot of people ask us about dialogue. How do you get uh, dialogue that's authentic to a character? Um, and I think we all have different approaches to it, but what's yours? I mean... You know, dialogue, I feel like, is one of those relatively rare writing skills, which is hard to teach. You know, you can kind of give someone a breakdown of how you structure a story and so forth if they haven't done it before. But dialogue, I'm not, me, me and Jesse, when we started writing sitcoms, our storytelling skills improved enormously. I'm not sure our dialogue did. I think it was what it was because somehow having an ear for dialogue or not is one of those things that might just be called a lucky break or talent or whatever. I think that certainly when you're writing a sitcom, it is dialogue is everything. And there's this old adage that you should be able to cover up the names of the characters on the script and still know who they are. And that's very true. I think that you need to be able to really identify very sharply the differences between characters, especially an ensemble show, obviously, but even a smaller cast, it has to be very precise. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's about figuring out a worldview 
for that character, which you can boil down into something quite easy to, to remember and imagine, you know. Could you give an example of that? If you have one off the top of your head, like a worldview for a character that you created and then went on to live? Well, I mean, I guess in Peep Show, which I did for 12 years, that show, you know, one is an anxious introvert, one is an overconfident extrovert. And so, you know, in every situation, you can have those two perspectives, which are completely different on the same problem. And that just as a gift that keeps on giving. And I think because we all have those voices within us, um, probably more anxious introverts in the world than, than uh, extrovert overconfident. But we all have those, those two sides to us. I think it's just, a, it was a really simple way for us to think about every single story and scene. Which would help with the dialogue too, right? Like how does that person talk? Have you ever derived a character or how someone speaks from someone you know, or is it more really coming from inside of you and the, the kind of almost pieces of you? We had another writer on here, Kemp Power, that said, you know, really those characters were pieces of himself having an argument about something. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I feel like that is, you know, one of the great things about writing is that you can invest fully in completely contradictory points of view and feel they're both right and that you know you're not for me good writing is not about trying to come up with an answer it's trying to present all the questions and yeah I 100% agree with that it feels like the internal conflict becoming external is what is very exciting about writing can be and I find that some uh, emerging writers they just don't push it far enough do you know what I mean like the characters are kind of all themselves, but so thinly sliced that they, they, I couldn't either from dialogue or from the character's behavior, or they're just kind of filling archetypical roles like mother or daughter. But what about this specific mother? What about this specific daughter? You gotta go deeper than that. Um, so it's just interesting. Like sometimes it's like taking those risks. Like it could feel like a risk to make them even more specific even more um because i'm sure your characters and i know your characters from peep show you're starting with introvert and extrovert but they're so specific they're so much more specific than they're not just any introvert you know like you're really getting down into specificity too yeah and i think that having having stuff made really sharpens you up because you know that if your character is archetypal mother the actress a you might not be able to cast that part and if you do the actress might be well what's my thing you have to be able to answer those questions you have to write parts that are good enough to play for someone really talented to come and play even if it's one scene it's like it, it demands you know attention every character should have it their own inner life i um i want to talk a little bit about uh british comedy and american comedy i loved the show ghosts and I just started watching uh, Friday Night Dinner. And there is this uh, specificity, especially Friday Night Dinner, uh, this specificity with the gags and the acting choices and the directing that feels so personal to me when I'm watching it. And like, it has nothing to do with me. But um, so I just, for me, that's my reaction. It feels small and massive at the same time. Whereas I think that sometimes American comedy can be so broad. And so I just wonder what your opinion is about that. I mean, Robert Popper, who created Front at Dinner as a friend and he produced two series of Peep Show and he showed me that script before it was ever produced. And as soon as I read it, I was like, this is gonna be amazing because 
he'd he'd done exactly what you said. He'd basically written his family, his and and wanted to invest in the weirdness to the fullest extent. I'm sure it's exaggerated, obviously, and it's fictional, but I I think it's a great example of that show because it is so odd. The tone is so particular. And Robert had the confidence to go, well, my family is weird and bonkers, but I bet everyone else's family is too. I don't know, but I'm guessing. And so the more specific you get, oddly, the more universal it becomes. Yeah, I really loved it. It felt like a play. I was like, if Edward Albee and Neil Simon got together, I feel like this is a version of something they would write. You know, it. Uh, I find it so charming and so funny. Um, so I know I just made a reference that probably no one in our audience has ever heard of the show, but look it up. It's amazing. Um, anyway, that was my answer for the day. We, we did put a, it out to our listeners on our Facebook group to ask what questions they wanted to ask you. And Nick wanted to know about your approach to what he coined and uh, cringeworthy, cringy comedy that forces your audience to watch, you know, through their fingers, kind of like, oh my God, oh my God. Uh, is that just something you love to do or is that something you actually push consciously to do or, or how, what's your approach to that comedy? Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I definitely don't remember every pushing for the cringe, but I think that, you know, for me in my personal taste, comedy and pain, great comedy and enormous pain tend to go together. Right. So peep show people often tell me they've watched the whole show through from first to last and I always kind of feel sorry for them because it's basically two people getting punched in the face or punching each other in the face you know for 12 years but that is you know what makes me laugh and I guess that is what I feel like is the best motive for comedy is suffering like how can you make your characters suffer can you even make them suffer more I mean I guess it's just what I like and luckily it seems other people do too I like that that's what you like, watching people suffer. And then well, making, fiction, fictional and then people, making them suffer. <laughs> but I mean, it's so specific as a strategy mm -hmm. to like, how can I, okay, here we are breaking an episode. All right, given these characters and where they live and what they're doing, how can we make them suffer? You no, know? But in fiction and feature, I've always done seminars about like, you intuitively might want to protect your main character and wrap them up in cotton. And then you find out that all the other characters around them are doing all the action of the movie and they're the ones who have agency and your character's kind of stuck. And it's like, I think it's because you don't want to beat them up because they're somehow you. And the, you know, I'm always, my advice always is take out a really big stick and beat the shit out of your main character. Just beat them senseless. The heart, make it harder and harder and harder. Um, and that in comedy, you can enjoy it, right? And sometimes in drama or horror or whatever, you're enjoying it for a different reason, right? But it creates the story. It creates why they change. I mean, I don't know, you know, in TV, um, were you ever, do you ever think about arcs or no, they're just who they are and the fun is tuning in to see them do it over and over and over? Well, sitcom is a funny beast because you're generally not looking for those characters to change as people and almost the the existential joke of a sitcom that keeps running is these people never learn, never get any smarter. And guess what? That might possibly be true for the viewer as well in your own life. I mean, let's face it, how much personal growth actually happens and how much is you just repeating the same mistake. So I think that's the, that's the trick of a great sitcom is when you 
when you have characters that work, you don't really want to change it. And oddly enough, I don't think the audience do either. I think it kind of is a gift that keeps giving. That is true. You kind of, it's the deliciousness of knowing how they're going to respond and they, and they are almost anticipating it, right? Like, oh my God, you just did that to him. He's going to do this. In the show though, is there any kind of plot shift in terms of those characters um, they, that they learned something that episode, even though we know we're going to forget it? Like, how do you then set up narrative drive? Is it just all plot-based or... Well, for that show, we definitely had arcs for each series in terms of the specific relationships that were happening every season, but no learning, certainly no hugging. It's Britain after all. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, yeah, just basically the final scene of the final episode is the two of them stuck on the sofa. They started the first episode with 12 years earlier and Mark, David Mitchell's character, is thinking I really must get rid of him she's been trying to do for 12 years and he's never going to but he keeps wanting to so I, we love that trap I mean is a sitcom is a trap in in some ways do you oh, that's find a there's a difference between American sitcoms and British sitcoms in that regard I don't know I mean the ones this, the U.S. sitcoms that I watch and love I don't know if people really change much either you know whether it's Seinfeld or Curb they're, they're still terrible people doing terrible things and not learning and that's a lot of our influences are American so I'm not sure there's that much of a difference I think that of course there are differences but fundamentally I think that they probably work in the same way yeah I'm I'm really curious about the differences down the road um writers rooms how they work differently in England and versus how they would work here since you've had experience in both well, the scale here is just much bigger in the US, right? So every show, almost every show has to have a writer's room, whereas in the UK you can, I mean, Robert Popper has written every single episode of Rod Night Dinner of multiple yeah. seasons, and that's pretty unusual here. Um, so I think that's the main difference. Six half hours is the average sitcom season and has been for 50 years in the UK. Wow. Are there American writers ever over in those rooms or no, not really, again, because of the scale or? Yeah, there are sometimes, um, but I think generally American writers have to take a pay cut to work in the UK. So it's depending what your priorities are. It's interesting, Sam. I, I feel like one of the things I want to highlight for our emerging writers is I think sometimes when people, they either view themselves as comedy writers or drama writers. And I think we tend to stratify each genre with, very specific approaches and techniques. And of course there are, but it's been important, I think, for me to hear how much both genres share, right? Like I think people think comedy is writing jokes, but really what I'm hearing is comedy is character-driven situations and that create conflict and tension in the exact same way that drama does the same thing. And I bring it up, I'm mentoring a young writer right now who's just sent me a comedy script and the whole thing is him trying out jokes. And it's just not working because I don't, I don't really care about these jokes unless I know who these people are. So I think long story short, it's important for emerging comedy writers to hear that it's always still character and conflict, even if it's existing in a different tonal universe, right? 100%. I think that's actually hard to kind of highlight that for our listeners who might think that comedy is jokes. Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, we outline, you know, we often out, do a scene by scene outline of the whole season before we write any dialogue. You know, the plot is everything. Um, and that's where your situations and your jokes are going. Yeah, we don't really write, I don't really write jokes as such. You know, the, the comedy should come out of the situation. Where do your ideas for the characters or the situation or 
the concept of the show? Do you have any sense of where they come from for you? Well, sometimes it surprises me. And that's kind of kind of great, right? About writing is like, where did this come from, from my own mind? Like, what am I trying to do here? And that's sometimes the most exciting thing. Sometimes it's really easy. It's just like someone I met or a, a thought or a feeling or something from my own life. But other times it's like, okay, I'm writing this now. I wonder where this is going to go. And that, that can be a real thrill ride. Do you have uh, characters that live in your head that sort of pop up? At, okay, so I have characters that live in my head that sort of pop up on almost every project I work on. Like, is this the one? And I'm always like, nope, this isn't the one yet. And I have to put the woman who lives in a yurt back in, back <laughs> in the back of my head. Like she will be in something, right? Um, you know, she lives in a yurt and she's got like all the modern appliances, right? I find that really interesting. But like, I, I, I don't know where to put her. Like she's just living with me for years now. I mean, I don't know if that's a, does anyone else on this, in this group have that experience or my bonkers? <laughs> he doesn't go in the new show that you're sending to your manager? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I think she needs her time to shine, yeah, lady. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Sam, do you have any characters that are following you around that you haven't had a chance to uh, exercise? Um, voices, maybe. I mean, often I, you know, there. I'm sure if you looked at all my work, you'd see similarities. And of course, there are some voices that I write well. And sometimes I do the same voice, different characters, no one notices, which is great because one's a woman, one's a man or whatever. But yeah, I mean, when you're writing comedy, for me, if you're writing someone stupid, you're onto a winner, someone incredibly arrogant, you're onto a winner, someone incredibly anxious. Those are the big three. And you can often blend those in different ways and create new stuff. Well, I mean, those are the big ones. I'm a big fan of all of those, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'll make Wait, them. I need to write this down. Stupid, arrogant, what was the third one? Anxious. Anxious, Meg. Well, I mean, come on. You can't write that. Come I don't on. know. I don't know anything about anxiety. <laughs> you got to tell the truth when you write. <laughs> um, I am curious. So uh, you talk about getting notes and how much you like people to read. Um, what is your process? You know, we talk a lot. We, you know, we get notes. It's like, fuck you. Fuck me. Okay, now I have to do it. Uh, I don't know that that's universal, but what's your experience when you get notes? Uh, you know, I, I, I love... I love getting notes. No, I don't. I hate getting notes. <laughs> I was going to say, oh my God, we've met, you've met him. You're we've the met, unicorn. We've met there the unicorn. <laughs> I like I mean, the way though you tried to say it with such conviction. What do like I you love? You're trying to make it yeah. true for yourself. <laughs> I'm just thinking about your t-shirt and your mug that I yes, saw on I the Yes, I did website. just get the, I got the notebook last night. It says, I love getting notes. And I was like, but do I? Okay, I have a notebook. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just depends right I mean it's I like the fuck you fuck me thing I would relate to it's it's pretty hideous and it doesn't really get any easier I think that you know it's important to make time to emotionally process all these things and sometimes that can take a while I think that for me I've found that you know, the more I can allow myself to have the fuck you feelings, the better, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's dangerous to pretend that it's all fine mm -hmm. when it isn't. And I've been very fortunate in the sense that I get notes generally of very smart people who are engaged. I've only had a few bad experiences, people who I 
didn't think were giving me good notes. Um, and, you know, it is about sort of positive self-talk and focusing on what can be done to, you know, if there's one, if you get a shit ton of terrible notes and it's really demoralizing, there must be one thing in there that can make your script 1% better. So just start with that, you know? Um, but yeah, it's tough. I think having a partner helps because it's a more of a shared, you can almost laugh about, wow, that really went badly. It's harder on your own. You know, you have to, to me, one of the reasons I love listening to the show is because I feel like I have you guys in my corner because if I'm writing solo, which I do mostly, and I get the notes, there's no one to sort of turn to. But knowing that everyone's going through the same thing really helps. I don't know if you've um, gotten a chance to read Bad Art Friend yet, but there's this there's this New York Times article that ran and everyone's talking about what we're entitled to write about um, in terms of people we know or specifics from our own life. And we talked about it earlier. I feel like so often comedy does come from people I know. I know I've written characters that I feel like I'm pulling directly things I've heard from people's mouths and putting it in my material. Do you have a philosophy on like what's kosher for us to pull from in terms of people we know and whether or not it's okay, especially in comedy where I feel like that's sometimes can be a really important part of the process. I think if you're writing specific things that someone that you know would recognize, then I would have a conversation with them because they might feel quite upset if they knew you were mining their life for. So if it's that specific, I would ask for permission basically myself. But if it's just not recognizable, then you can kind of do what you want with it. I think that's my, 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 my five second ethical hot take. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but, you know, but, you know, on the theme I, of notes, I think one of the critical things which, you know, you talk about so much in the show is the emotional self-management. And I think that one of the, one of the um, you know, you can read a lot of books on screenwriting and it's mostly about craft, but one of the great things about your show is you understand how that's only half the picture. You know, a lot of it is developing a temperament. And I know a lot of very talented writers that I've worked with who maybe have all the talent but don't have the temperament, who basically can't handle the pain, right? Mm. Because a lot of writing is just pain, disappointment, frustration, anxiety. The list is fairly endless. I won't go on to be too depressing. But you know, you need to have stamina. You need to have a certain amount of 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 um bloody mindedness to stick it out. And I think that people maybe underestimate that at the start because we're all enthusiastic and maybe we have some talent, which is fantastic. But if you really want to make a go of it over 30 years or whatever, that temperament piece is the critical piece, actually. I agree. And I think uh, in TV writing, it's especially true. You have sometimes hours to turn around a script, like really big notes come down everything like rewrite it from top to bottom and here's the one note you're gonna get figure it out and then you just have to do it you don't have time to go through the big emotional process right that's where i like it though because you don't but that's why i like tv because it's like you don't have time to have your hamlet soliloquy like you just have to freaking do it and you find out oh i can do it or that kind of worked versus i find in feature writing when you're alone you can get lost in that woods, man, that, that, you know, all those things you listed, the anxiety, the doubt of, you know, I like some, half the time, I'm just trying to push myself back into action with something, you know, you know, 
how do you, Sam, when you're getting lost in that woods of all that list of words is, you know, what do you do to help yourself get back to it? Or do you kind of never break? Like you have, like some writers say, that's why I write every day. Cause I'm not going to let myself wander in those woods or how, how do you, how do you help do that? Well, you know, I feel like I've had to, you know, take steps to really um, manage that especially as a solo writer, which is a different kettle of fish, you know, with, with a partner, you have someone who can walk you through a lot of those problems and you help, help each other out. As a, as a soloist, you know, I feel like giving myself the time and space to have a feeling is actually a critical part of my work process. Mm. You know, and I, there's a tendency if you're trying to be productive, I don't have time have a feeling I don't have time to phone a friend and and talk about how pissed off I am at this situation or that but I absolutely think I need to do that and and the more I can you know the more I can tune into myself and what's going on the better I write I may not do as much writing in terms of hours in the day but I can get everything done if I take care of myself and if I don't I can't get anything done and that's, that's actually a critical part of my work process now. That's so important. I just want everyone to hear. I mean, another way to what I hear you saying, tell me if this is right, is I, I asked you the question, how do you not go into that dark wood? And your answer is you go in. Like that is part of the writing process is to feel those emotions, is to allow that to happen. So then you can put that into your writing because your characters are in a dark wood. Like that is the temperament in a weird way to, to la- allow yourself to go through the hero's journey, however people want to say it, because that's how you learn how to put it into your characters. I do find sometimes when I'm up above my character because it feels more in control, right? I don't have to go into their doubt and their, that they don't know what the hell they're doing or whatever it is that you I'm feeling. And I have some of the best advice I got was take all that anxiety you're feeling right now and give it to your character, right? Like right. just dump it right in there. Um, yeah, I had some writer's block this year, which I've never had before. Maybe I've been lucky. It was only a couple of days, but it terrified me because if I'm not writing, nothing will get solved. Everything grinds to a halt. And, you know, I just broke through it by having a very honest conversation with a friend, a good friend, and all the anxiety and fear I was feeling and, and all that stuff just came out and then I could write again. But I guess I was afraid of feeling the fear or afraid of feeling the anxiety or, or just feeling like it might overwhelm me if I started to think about it. But actually thinking about it and talking about it was the critical piece that opened, opened things up again. So important, right? We think we're controlling it by not feeling it, but in fact, that's going to shut us down. And of course you have to have a safe space to feel it and you have to have potentially a support, be it your friend or whatever support you need to feel that stuff. And, you know, that is the lava, right? Just to go back to, you know, what I was teasing you about when we opened up, you know, that that is the lava that we want you to put into your writing, all of that stuff that's coming up as you get notes. Um, you know, I'm giving this advice. And of course, I'm finding it very hard to take it this week. I just have to say. It's beautifully <laughs> said though. It's, it's the irony of if things are going too well for us, maybe our writing will suffer because we've forgotten how much it can sometimes suck to be a person. So it's like when you re-enter to the suck. I would like to try that though. I would really like to try that experiment. I would like my life to go so well yeah. that my writing sucks. It's well, we're uh, the one profession that ironically like demands that our lives don't always go well because our, our art and our work will suffer for it. 
That's well, because, hey, you're going to write something and guess what? It's not going to go that well because you're going to get notes. So it's always going to come back. It'll be fine. Around, right? Fine. You know what? I know I had to go away because my internet crashed for a few minutes, but here's what I want to say. I am not going to accept that, Jeff, and that at <laughs> one point, my life is going to be going amazingly well. And so will my writing. That's good. Yes. I, well, we're yes, gonna... I, I believe it's possible, but I, I think we're all I just have to it. frame what my life going well looks like so yes. that I can go for that and that I recognize it when I get there, which yeah. is, I think, the same for what does success mean as a writer? Yes, right? this is a very good topic. Because it like is... I was talking about last week, like the bar keeps moving and I still feel like I'm struggling, you know, just I and so I, I need to find some like checkpoints like, OK, if I get here, if I do this, then I am an established writer that I'm successful. Like what is, what is it I'm looking for? Oh yes. You have to define your own (laughs) definition of success and your own definition of well, what is, when are you well, you know, and hopefully it doesn't matter what outside things are happening that you're well, you know, that's really the trick, right? I mean, is that what people call healthy? I don't know, Sam, what is your, what is your take? <laughs> like what, like, have you I'm ever, <laughs> have you ever struggled with, am I successful or when you're, when are, when, someday versus right now? Oh, for sure. And I think that defining success is a really good question because, you know, you, you certainly don't want to feel like your life is second to your work, you know, and I, you know, you've talked in this podcast before about, you know, the culture we live in, whether it's America or TV, where the pressure to produce and perform, you know, sometimes saying no to a, an amazing job because it'll, be, it'll impact your life too much is the best thing you can do. Now, is that success? Not in the terms that variety might define it. Is it success in your own life? Absolutely. And those kind of decisions can only be made by the individual. And it takes a lot of honesty and sort of courage to say, you know, this is my priority and the ball ball that I'm going to, you know, go for is not as important. But also you know, every individual project, you know, it's so easy to fall into black and white thinking like this was a hit. This was a flop. This was a failure. This was a success. This got bad reviews. This got box office or whatever. I think that it's very, very dangerous to fall into judging your work by those standards. I think the most important thing is you know, how did it impact your life and how did it form part of your journey? And there are a lot of things that are, I've done that are successful and I haven't enjoyed or have Mm. been failures that I've changed my life. I mean, the very first script I ever wrote is kind of 1995. It's kind of terrible, never be produced. It's also the most important script I ever wrote because I showed it to Jesse. He read it, thought there's some funny stuff in it. That began our 20-year writing partnership. Was that a script of success? No. Was it a success? Fuck yeah. Mm. I mean, how do you define it? Whichever way is the most useful, I think. Yeah, seeing that journey, and it's so hard, right, when you're down on that path. It's so hard to get that 30,000-foot view that this is a long journey. Once I didn't get a project I really wanted, and I sat down with a friend who had been in the business a long time, and she was like, huh, um, did you really desperately want to do that project? And I was like, no, but it would have been so good for my career. And she's like, I know, but you only have enough life creative force to do so many projects. Is that the one you wanted to give it to? 
And I was like, no. And she's like, congratulations, you didn't get it. Like, and I was like, what? Like she turned the whole thing around because she'd been in the business so long and understood how much of her life she gave to projects. And I have found that when I've chosen a project because I thought it was the money or this would be good for my career or this external reason, they haven't gone well, I have to be honest. Or because the movie star was attached and oh my God, I could go to her house and we could sit and we talk and blah, blah, whatever. Those have not been successful in a lot of ways, right? Like in many, so it really is also kind of be finding your authentic self as a writer and what is success for you and what do you want to put out in the world? And I know that for emerging writers, of course, it's like, get on the board. You want to just, I, and I, that is real. That is real. Like you do need to get on the board and you want to get paid and you want to make your living doing it, but know that that isn't the end of the journey. That is actually you're walked onto the path of the journey that is much longer and it's still the same questions. Like, I don't know, like Sam, what you were talking about that script that you wrote, is it successful? I'm going to guess it was important to you that story that you wrote and personal and just wanted to come out and it created other things for you. When you're an emerging writer trying to get on the board, if you're playing catch up to a market or stuff that's outside of you, that is a really hard way to get on the board. You get on the board by writing that personal stuff that all this lava that stuff that uh and and that's just that to me is so important for people to keep in mind uh as they're trying to get on the board or once you're on the journey um and I don't know where that journey just went that I just said all that but um so I I think a lot about my impact right like not just the impact my writing has and I love that story about your script and sort of creating this wonderful partnership that you had I I try to zoom out farther and like the impact I've had on communities or people, the friendships I've had when I, in my healthier moments, like that's what's most important to me, right? Maintaining those things. Um, but it's so hard when it's like, I've got bills to pay and I need to be this and I need to be that. And then deadline and variety and my friends are all doing this. But in my healthier moments, it's about my impact, my ability to support other people my healthier moments. They're few and far between, but I think I just had like a little perspective there when you were both talking, but you know, I really, really want what I want, you know, in terms of being That's good too. That's good too. You got to have drive. You have to want what you want. Absolutely. That I think that is, that's absolutely too. Like Sam, do you have, do you set goals for yourself or is it always just project by project? Like, do you have any kind of larger beacon out that you're kind of going for? Um, no, not really. I mean, you know, I, I moved to, to America partly so I could pursue writing features. I guess that was the grand plan. And I've sort of succeeded at a couple of two May, the original scripts, and I'm doing that most of the time now. And so if, I guess that's the closest I would get to just like having a plan. But honestly, I think that you know, it's really important to take it a project at a time for me and a day at a time when it comes to writing, you know, I can get really overwhelmed if I look at the big picture too much and I can't really affect the big picture very much, but I can affect what I do today. And that's what I try and focus on. That sounds healthy. <laughs> maybe, I, maybe we could just do a new podcast called Healthier Moments. Are you healthy today? <laughs> How yeah, people you? just listen every day and we get them into their healthy minds. So we, a professional might have to do that. I don't know. Um, the Get Healthy Club. 
<laughs> so now a very specific question came in from Luke who wanted to know um, how and why everyone decided to end the beloved hit like Peep Show. Well, we, we just knew that, you know, it was going to end at some point and we'd rather do it in a conscious, a conscious uncoupling, as it were, than sort of like running out of steam. I guess because we felt like we'd had such an amazing run of, of, of uh, 12 years that we wanted to not end on an anticlimactic, disappointing series and knowing it was going to be the final series focused us to try and make it as good as we could. Um, but, you know, I think that sticking the landing is a challenge for any long running show. And I think we did that. I'm happy with what we did. And then we do have some British writers who follow us and um, JJ asked for advice for British writers if they um, did, if you think they need to be in LA and if not any advice on forging a career in London. Um, I don't, look, I mean, I came to LA before the pandemic obviously, and it's kind of hilarious how pointless it is being in LA right now for the industry. I pitched to uh a studio a couple of weeks ago which is 10 minutes drive from my house on zoom so i think right now that might change obviously but i think that doesn't matter where you are right now which is great um and the british and american industries have become a lot closer and seem to get closer every year in terms of co-productions or british talent working on american stuff or vice versa so i think it's a really exciting time if you're looking at both territories you don't really need to move here but you can certainly um have fingers in both pies for sure someone asked me the other day how's la and i said i don't know i haven't really lived there in two years so <laughs> even though i have obviously i feel like i live in a in an apartment i can tell you how my apartment is if you're curious about that it's, it's interesting i think the the truth is probably the advice is always right if you want to write an american television or british television right and then maybe you'll get staffed because the as the community becomes more and more global i mean the biggest show right now is a south korean show so if you're a great writer that's how you find your way into working in television probably that's true it is getting more and more uh connected well this has been so amazing and before we wrap up i just wanted we always ask um our guests three questions and since you're a listener you'll be prepared oh before we do that i have one more question oh she has one more question okay sorry what uh what advice do you have what's something significant that you've learned that you'd like to share what advice do you have for people you mean new writers writers or any writer any writer i think you know i think that um your advice you always give about you know keep writing that is it's hard to beat that i'm gonna i'm gonna steal your idea you know keep walking forward you know you don't have to run you don't have to leap you don't have to perform a backflip every day but if you keep putting one foot in front of the other maybe that's all you do is one step but that that's the critical thing and and i think that it's really easy to get distracted by all the stuff about networking and but what Jeff said a minute ago is super true. You know, if you're if your writing is good enough, the opportunities will come. So just focus on on that. And it's what you can control, right? The rest is really hard to control. Yeah. Um, That's great advice. Yeah. <laughs> really smart. <laughs> Speaking uh, of right. Sam, our first question of our three is uh, what brings you the most joy when it comes to writing? 
think in a way, when I discovered writing, creative writing 30 years ago, I felt like I'd discovered this magical alchemical formula of transforming pain into joy. And that has never got old, you know, especially in the kind of comedy I write. The worst thing that ever happened to me could be the source of someone's greatest pleasure. And that that never never stops being magical, I would say. So beautifully said. That's cool. It's amazing. And what uh, pisses you off about writing? I'm going to sort of slightly sidestep that question by saying that the, the amount of producing I have to do pisses me off. I mean, the amount of time I have to actually write seems pathetic compared to the amount of time I spend emailing people, phoning people, trying to make things happen. And that gets to me. I just like, I want to write. I don't want to have to constantly be nagging people and preparing free work for pitching to outline to all this other crap which is just so unavoidable and i haven't figured out how you not you can't do that you know you have to just as part of the process but it feels like almost the entire process sometimes yeah yeah totally i have this like fantasy i'm going to hire an assistant and he's going to do all that but of course <laughs> what's never going to happen like i don't know it's just, it's this crazy idea let's make it happen meg oh, let's God. say next this time next year you're going to have an amazing assistant. All right, Dave, from your the day list. is in history, October magic. 14th. There we go. All right, last um, last question. All right, Lauren, you asked the last question. If you can be remembered for one scene that you've written, what would it be? There's a scene in the movie I co-wrote called Four Lions, where, which is a comedy about suicide bombers. One of the few comedies about suicide bombers, but there's a scene where they're driving to their attempted terrorist site and they start singing and it just totally works in a way that it totally shouldn't i'm amazed we pulled it off and i'm really proud of that it's awesome great well thank you so much for being here i really love speaking with you and check out sam's most recent movie the stand-in starring drew barrymore and keep an eye out for his upcoming feature jaunty so thanks for tuning in, everyone. And if you haven't yet, check out our Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash Screenwriting Life. And please drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. We have this crazy idea of getting a thousand reviews, so we need a couple of more. And remember, you are not alone. Keep writing. Thanks for tuning in to the Screenwriting Life. We love our community and we want to get to know you even better. Join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash the screenwriting life or email us at the screenwriting life at gmail.com to have your question considered for the show. You can also suggest topics by emailing us there. Also, we'd love for you to drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. Even if we don't read your review on air, trust me, we have read it. And not only does it mean the world to us, but it helps other people find the show. We've always been driven by mission and mentorship and reviewing our show helps expand that mission. And of course, until next Sunday, happy writing.